This podcast is created and produced by Innovator. If you're looking to cut back or eliminate hot work on your next job, or for all of your industrial services needs, visit innovator.ca. Hello and welcome to the next installment of the Industrial Innovators Podcast, hosted by founder and CEO of Innovator, Don Cooper. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and this week we have got Stephen Waldron, the Director of Business Development at HydroPro. He is on the show to discuss HydroPro, a world leader in both equipment and technology for hydraulic tube expansion and leak repair. It's a great conversation with one of our many worldwide partners that you will not want to miss, so let's get into this episode. So we're we're here with uh, Stephen Waldron from uh, from HydroPro. He's uh, one of our uh, our suppliers and partners, and we're going to be talking about HydroPro today, and specifically around their methods for um, repairing a variety of um, of tubes in uh, heat exchangers and furnaces. Uh, welcome, Stephen. Thank you, sir. So uh, why don't we start off with, you know, telling me uh, who is HydroPro? Well, you know, HydroPro is uh, kind of a, a specialized company in the heat exchanger industry. We manufacture equipment and tooling for hydraulic tube expansion, sleeving repairs, uh, hydro testing of individual joints, plugging, that sort of thing. Uh, basically, any solution we can come up with for extending tube life in heat exchangers and tubular vessels. Right. And, uh, you know, so when was Hydro, uh, Hydro Pro formed and, uh, and by whom? Like, where did it come about? Like, how long have you been around? Who are, you know, that sort of thing. What's the history? You know, Hydro Pro was, uh, was established in 1997, uh, incorporated in 98. Uh, it, was, it was three founders. We've got David Vosbrink, who was the, uh, the owner of a, of a torquing company at the time in California. Uh, Russell Wasson, who was sort of his right-hand man at the time, uh, kind of in charge of sales of that organization. And then Stanley Yokel, who a lot of people have probably heard of through uh, several several books he's written on shell and tube heat exchangers over the years. He was also the founder of MGT Inc. Uh, Engineering out in Colorado. Those three got together, decided that there was a need for uh, a more specialized, focused approach of on hydraulic tube expansion and with Russell as the lead engineer and, and Dave and, and uh, Stanley as the financial backing and such, they, they got together, started the company, kind of, kind of approached things differently than a lot of the competition out there as far as how the equipment itself works and how the tooling itself works. And over the years, they've, they've put a lot of effort into, uh, evolving that technology. Um, it's down to uh, just Russell and Dave uh, Vosbrink own it now. Uh, Stanley was, was uh, he left the company, I think, probably the early 2000s, sold his portion of it to Russell so he could focus on his engineering firm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has since retired and, and I believe sold that company. But um, he still maintains a, uh, a lot of contact with everybody um, or has over the years with with the engineering side of things and and uh yeah that's that's pretty much how it started i didn't realize that uh david and russell started in torquing uh it's an interesting yeah. uh interesting connection because that's kind of how i started in the industry you know too many years ago to count <laughs> yeah i i just thought that they were uh you know masters of the tube <laughs> <laughs> so uh 
you know, for the audience, you know, tell us what, what is uh, hydraulic expansion? That's really the core, all the things you're doing from testing and expanding and plugging, um, you know, you're using hydraulic expansion. You know, what is that and, and why should we use it? Well, you know, the, the key concept behind hydraulic expansion is the, the act of hydroforming. It's just a matter of using water under pressure to shape an object. And in this case, you know, you see it in, you see it in automobiles. They, they use it all the time for forming intricate pieces of metal. You get a small car with a, a odd shaped hood. Chances are it was hydroformed that way. Um, we're doing it a little differently where we're hydroforming a tube into a tube sheet or a sleeve into another tube or a plug into a tube. Um, but basically what we're doing is you're inserting a mandrel and, and forming it with water. And the key benefits there are uh, kind of a lack of work hardening. Um, you don't have the friction that comes from a metal metal expansion. You know, it's just a, a lot of kind of inherent benefits to the technology. And then of course the cleanliness plays into that as well. You're using distilled or deionized water for the process, but it's very quick. Um, there's a lot of benefits that I'm sure we'll go over as we continue speaking about it. But, um, but that's the gist of hydraulic expansion is just hydroforming a tube into a resistance object essentially. And it's, you know, directly competing with a range of mechanical expanders. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You'll, you'll hear uh, a lot of people will call uh, hydraulically driven rollers. Um, they'll call that hydraulic expansion. And technically that's not, that is mechanical expansion. That is just driven, it's hydraulically driven but it's a mechanical expansion tool. The tool itself exactly. is expanding the metal mechanically, even if it's operated and rotated by some sort of a hydraulic device. Yeah. Yeah. That's, exactly that's a right. really yeah. important, a really important difference is we're, we're not talking about uh, rollers and expanders that are using something hydraulic to drive it. We're actually using the hydraulics to, to do the work. Yes. In this case, uh, it's literally water that is right. ex performing the expansion. So. so when was this technology first developed? You know, a lot of people are surprised to learn it, but uh, it was actually developed in the early 80s, possibly even the late 70s, um, for use in, in nuclear applications and aeronautical applications. Uh, again, due to the, the, uh, the fact that water was the expansion medium, you, you know, uh, well, whenever you mechanically roll something, or if you use a, uh, an ID device, like a, like a ball or something like that to perform an expansion, you're expanding the tube to an OD of an object. So, you know, your mandrel, your rolling mandrel will only open up to a certain OD and that's the maximum you can expand that tube to. Whereas if you're using water, mm -hmm. you're expanding it truly into the resistance object. And, and in many cases, that's a tube sheet. Um, so if you have variations in the ID of your tube sheet hole, the tube will form to that. Uh, as you know, if you, hold a water balloon in your hand and fill it with water, it forms to the shape of your hand. It's the same concept, just much, much more pressure. Right. So, you know, using mechanical, you're going to get inconsistencies in that expansion. I mean, that's, is that what I'm hearing compared to? That's exactly right. Yeah. You, you may have uh, consistent IDs, which look fantastic uh, on a, with a measuring device. Don't get me wrong. They, they look well, look great and everything, but, if you have a cone-shaped hole, you don't know it. Um, 
right. you know, your tube's not in contact throughout that hole. So uh, it's a gotcha. key reason why you want to look at using something like hydraulic expansion to do the, do the work. Okay. So, so just walk us through how do the, ex the expansion process works. Well, for our equipment, you know, looking at a tube to tube sheet expansion or a sleeve expansion, uh, basically you insert a mandrel. The mandrel has a set of seals on it. You, you can go to our website at hpro.com and see a video on this and animation, but uh, there's an O-ring seal, a backup seal, and a, and a segmented ring. What happens is the water is inserted through the center of that mandrel. It activates those seals against the ID of the tube, and those seals will hold the pressure. And, you know, to give you an example, if you're expanding some stainless steel tubes, typically you're going to be 30 to 40,000 PSI of water, and the water is held between those seals and hydroforms the tube whenever you let off the pressure on the gun uh, or in, in an electronic system of ours, it will release pressure on its own. Much of that water actually feeds back into the mandrel. The seals go back to their relaxed state on the tool and you can extract the tool. You've now expanded that, that tube. Um, and the same process goes for sleeving. You just have a lower pressure. You might be at seven or 8,000, 10,000 PSI using a sleeve as opposed to 30, 40, 50,000 PSI. So, Right. You know, what amazed me, you know, in terms of you use the word mandrel, and, and I think people in the heat exchanger space will probably relate that to other types of mechanical tools that they might see with rolling mandrels and whatnot. But, you know, when I look at your tool, when I first saw it, you know, it, you know, it, it you know, it operates on the same principles of a hydro testing plug, just at really, you know, much, much higher pressures uh, so that it can do that. You know, I mean, you're effectively taking those sleeves, um, and or plugs that you're using and um, using um, hydraulic expansion to plastically um, deform them into the area that you're trying to fill, right? Yes, that's exactly right. And, and you know, a lot of people will call the mandrels, they'll call them probes because that's actually more fitting to what they look like, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, they, they're very similar to a a hydrostatic plug in the way they function, but like you said, at a, at a considerably higher, higher pressure. pressure. Yeah. yeah. I know if I ever, you know, if, if I ever have to do a 10,000 pound hydro test on a small diameter piece of pipe, I know exactly where, where I'm going to find a tool to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, exactly right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, most of the time we're operating on, you know, under 10,000 uh, pounds with, with, with weld type, uh, plug test. So we're not, we're, you know, we're intentionally not trying to deform the, the piping. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and I, I just wanted to point out, uh, I don't know if you can see my camera, but the audience will later. Um, this is my, uh, my vitamin drink. I've, I've drank it for years. Um, it's, uh, it's a combination of a thousand milligrams of vitamin C along with a, a vitamin uh, effervescent tablet that I get out of, uh, uh, in Scotland, actually, from uh, where my wife is from. It's called Baraka. I think you can get it in the U.S., but it has about uh, about 500% of the daily dose of all your vitamins that you need. So it's like a mega vitamin B complex and uh, vitamin C complex for, uh, you know, supercharging your immune system. And I use it just for uh, upping my uh, my metallic rate and, and just, you know, for... Uh, boost in my immune system, but uh, definitely uh, a valuable uh, drink to be drinking these days to keep your immune system strong in, uh, in the height of what we're doing with, uh, with the coronavirus these days. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So this is my go-to, uh, I, I, you know, lots of people drink vitamin water. I just drop a couple of these supercharged tablets into regular water and it makes any of my water super vitamin water. So, um, what's the, uh, single best reason for hydroxy expansion? Like when you, when, what's the, you know, what, what's the big value proposition for anyone on, you know, why this? You know, if you're, if you're installing sleeves, uh, you know, you want to be able to bring the entire sleeve, the entire length of that sleeve or that liner, um, if you're looking at a full length sleeve into contact with the parent tube. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're installing a sleeve into a heat exchanger, you don't want to lose heat transfer. You don't want to create a, a gap between the, the ferrule and the, and the parent tube. So the idea would be to hydro, hydroform that entire length of that sleeve. Um, and when you're looking at a tube to tube sheet joint, the biggest benefits are going to be from speed of the expansion process, because regardless of your tube sheet thickness, you can do it in one step, one step. And we've seen some pretty extreme versions of that argument. Um, you know, obviously there are a lot of, a lot of condensers and such out there that have thin tube sheets, you know, it's nothing to find a unit with a one inch thick tube sheet. Mm-hmm. But what about the feed water heaters, like the one we just in, inspected in Saudi Arabia two weeks ago that has a 32-inch thick tube sheet? You know, can you imagine step rolling that? Uh, we can go in with a hydraulic expansion mandrel and expand 32 inches deep in one shot. Um, you're not talking about a short time difference. You're talking about weeks of work that you just yeah. saved by expanding that. Um, I always like to, to pitch it to, to clients and, and to end users you know, imagine you have a thousand tubes. It's not a huge unit, but you have a 12 inch thick tube sheet. Mm-hmm. I can expand that thousand tubes in a thousand expansions. Yeah. The, the guy with the mechanical roller is going to do it in what? 6,000, right. <laughs> you know, 7,000. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's if he doesn't have any trouble. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. There's a, there's a time and a place for mechanical rolling, but um, we found that hydraulic expansion, you know, it has a lot of, a lot of times and places it's better. And that includes with exotic materials, thick tube sheets, uh, high volume expansions, that kind of thing. You, you may only have a one inch thick tube sheet, but if you have 10,000 tools, our tools probably going to be more efficient over the long run. Right. So, there's just a lot of very good reasons there, but the single best reason would probably have to be um, just the speed of the operation. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there's a time when, um, when mechanical rolling might be appropriate. So, you know, why would I use hydraulic expansion over, um, over mechanical and, and, and the inverse, like when is it, you know, when, when does it make sense to go the, uh, the traditional route? Well, you know, if you're if you're doing a lot of work with carbon steel, which is a relatively dirty material, you could say, um, you're running thin tube sheets, say two inches. Uh, I, I pretty much look at three inches or less, and you know, you you want to do it quickly. Maybe you have a, a header box unit, something like that. Yeah, you can use a mechanical roller. You probably do it faster than we can on a on a tube to tube basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have those same parameters, uh, relatively consistent tube IDs, and a lot of tubes, hydraulic expansion is going to be cheaper in the long run, simply Mm -hmm. for the tooling costs. 
Um, now, if you are looking at feed water heaters, you're looking at exotic materials, uh, you know, anything with a thick tube sheet or, or a, a lot of memory in the tube material, like, a, uh, you know, super duplex or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's much more efficient to use hydraulic tube expansion. Um, you're going to have a lot less wear and tear on the tube, a lot of less wear on the tooling and a lot less fatigue to the operator at the end of the day. Um, and of course, like I said, the, the thick tube sheets is a big one. Um, you know, we can do that in one step. So that, that makes a huge difference on timing. Now, of course, if you're looking at installing sleeves, um, and what I mean by a sleeve is a typical ferrule, say six inches long, you know, typically you're not going to step roll that in. If you're just going to roll it, you're going to roll each end and be done. Mm -hmm. Whereas we can hydroform the entire thing. And then we would still probably lightly feather roll each end just to make sure it's in contact at the ends of the tube. Mm -hmm. and, and what that does is obviously it, it maintains as much heat transfer as possible through that unit. Yeah. You know, and so I just want to, come back to what you mentioned about sleeves and feral sleeves. So, you know, we talked about um, hydraulic expansion of tubes, which, so you could be using this technology when you're doing a retube of uh, particular tubes in the bundle to this, to the tube sheet. But, you know, how I know you guys and how we, we started working together was specifically where you don't want to replace the entire parent tube. Um, you know, we, we do tube inspection uh, for clients as well. And so often, you know, most of the failures the clients are seeing on tubes are at that tube sheet and in that, you know, 6, 12 inches near the end of the tubes and the rest of the parent tube is in, is in, you know, fr through from inspection is looking pretty good. And so you just explain to the audience a little bit about, you know, what a tube, what a sleeve is, what a feral is and the benefit of that versus having to do a, you know, a full replacement of a parent tube. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll find a lot, especially in uh, oil production um, that you might have a stress corrosion issue at the face, you know, just behind the tube sheet. You might have some cracking behind the weld of the tube to tube sheet joint. Something along those lines is pretty common. Um, high pressure units, you'll start having tube failures in that area. Just, I'd say it's usually within a couple inches of the tube sheet. Right. And, and basically what you're looking at doing is you're taking a thin metal tube that has a flare on one end to allow for uh, um, kind of an, an inlet, uh, you know, benefit, I guess you could say. Right. to the shape of the tube. And what you do is you essentially slide that into the parent tube and then you hydroform it full length. So you bring it into intimate contact throughout. You're plastically deforming that, that thin tube, which we would call your sleeve, um, just as you would your parent tube into your tube sheet. Uh, the idea is, of course, to create an extra barrier of clean tube material. Um, in many cases, you actually are bridging tube failures, depending on the operation of the unit, you can do that quite often. Mm -hmm. We had an application at a, at a thermal power plant in, in Iceland where we ended up doing this on, I think nine banks of heat exchangers where we went in and literally used the sleeve to, to get bridge the gap where there was 100% through wall tube failures um, on nearly every tube. And Basically, what this did was allow them to keep those units in operations for a few more years before they had to be replaced. 
as opposed to just starting to swap out entire bundles. Um, so it can and be a so massive you were just, cost saving. And you, and you were you were inserting what length of sleeve in, in that application? Yeah, exactly. Basically, I think uh, if I recall correctly, we were installing like 304 stainless, you know, six inches long. Um, nothing, nothing overly expensive or anything, nothing exotic on the materials. Now we have, we have gone into units and exp expanded uh, pretty exotic materials into the, into the sleeve situation, you know, gone in with a duplex sleeve or a titanium sleeve, just based on how that operate that unit operates. But, but most often it's going to be for a corrosion or erosion protection at the front of the unit or to combat some sort of stress corrosion type issue that's happening. And again, it's just, you know, you think about how much money it costs to, to disassemble and remove a heat exchanger um, from, from operation or, or even have one retubed in, in the field. Um, when you look at those costs and stuff and you consider the fact that, like you said, those failures most of the time are going to be found at the front of the unit. You can just install a short sleeve and, and we can hydroform that in and, and be done. And your unit's protected with a, what we call a Band-Aid for a period of time. You might be able to operate that unit for another year or two, maybe five, depending on how it's running. It just depends. But depends um, on it's, to, uh, depends on the trend of its corrosion and erosion and the, and the process. Exactly. Well, you're effectively extending the life of that bundle um, at a fraction of the cost of a, of a new bundle of the time involved um, uh, of the cost of a full retube, you know, cause the customers may either, you know, choose to go with a new bundle or take or, or do a full or send that old bundle out for a, a full retube um, or, you know, or face, you know, significant critical path downtime. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and one, uh, one really big story we've got on that was uh, there's a, there's a, Oh, there's a plant in Louisiana with transfer line exchangers. There's it's an ethanol plant. And uh, I want to say they had six, six sets of bundles, so 12 heat exchangers running. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, every six months they'd pull these units offline, they'd inspect them, they'd clean them, and they'd plug a few holes. And after a year, they would pull that bundle out, that those two units out, and they would put the um, temporary units into service. And they'd send those two bundles out for retube, and they would do this on a cycle. So every year, the tubes were getting you know, retubed within mm -hmm. a 30 to 40 tube range in the middle of the unit. Well, we went in and installed some sacrificial sleeves. These were actually heavy wall sleeves because the transfer line exchanger issue is a, a high erosion problem at the face of the unit. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we installed these, and every six months, they'd go in and clean the unit and inspect it. Instead of plugging tubes, they would have us come in and remove those sleeves and install new ones. After four years, they hadn't used their backup bundles one time. Right. And that was, you know, that was pretty impressive to see that, that kind of statistic. Well, you um, know, you know, when we, when we do inspection on tubes, that's generally the, you know, when, when you get a, a, uh, a tube that's marked as a failure or, or it's got a high, uh, high wall loss, that's what the clients normally do, right, is they mark them up. And then they assign the boilermakers to start plugging tubes. And what happens from an operator? I mean, it's not just about the swapping out a, you know, a spare bundle. It's also, if they don't, if they start plugging those tubes, they're losing more and more process 
efficiency exactly. every time they do that. And, you know, that's, you know, that, that process efficiency is costing energy. It's costing barrels or, uh, uh, whatever unit of measure of production they have, every time you plug a tube, it's it's costing money in the long run of operating that facility. And from an energy standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, even from a production standpoint. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I always like to point out to people how much productivity you get out of a plug tube. You, you don't get any. Yeah, you get nothing. But if you yeah, but if you've got a five percent productivity loss because you installed another liner of tube in there you still get 95% of productivity out of that tube. You know what I mean? So um, sleeving has a lot of benefits in, in maintaining heat exchangers and and extending their life. So. Fantastic. Let's jump into, um, you know, and try to cover frequently asked questions that uh, your clients often ask. Um, So why is, uh, why is the tooling more expensive than mechanical rollers? Well, you know, the, the, the biggest factor there is you'll find that uh, the mechanical rollers are disposable, essentially. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, with rollers. We are. Um, typically, you don't plan on using one for 5,000 expansions. You use one for, you know, several hundred, maybe, maybe more expansions. And then you know that if not most of the components, the entire components can get thrown away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just wears down through friction yeah. and, and heat and everything else. It's a consumable small tool. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Whereas the hydraulic expansion manual, uh, the primary components of it are actually kind of touted as capital items because we don't have a life expectancy on them. Uh, we actually have manufacturers here in the U.S. who who buy our tooling and, and they'll use it for a job and they'll put it in inventory. And they'll come to us and say, here's the job we have. Here's the tube size, the number of tubes, et cetera. And we'll quote it to them like they don't have any tools. Mm-hmm. They'll go through their, their uh, inventory and they'll come back and say, well, I just need a shaft and these couple little consumables because they have everything else. And right. what, what really, where that really benefits you is if you have a lot of repeat work. Um, you know, if you have six, in order for six units, they're all identical with 3,000 expansions each and same size tube and same thickness of tube sheet, you can theoretically buy one or two mandrels and do that entire job. The only reason you'd want more than one is just for speed of being able to knock out the job faster um, because that, that one mandrel will do the entire project. It's all the consumable components is what you're going to have to look at buying on top of that. So you look at a single, single job, yeah, mechanical rollers are going to look a little cheaper a lot of the time. But when you look at that job and the next job and the job after that hydraulic expansion will typically come out quite a bit cheaper in the long run. So trying to educate the, the, uh, the fab shops and stuff who are used to looking at a per job basis, um, teaching them that is a little bit of a challenge. And, and I know on, when you look at sleeving jobs and such, it's not feasible to roll a to a sleeve or a liner into place a lot of the times, whereas hydraulic expansion is the only option. Mm-hmm. So if you're used to looking at a, a relatively cheap mechanical roller versus a thousand dollar tool, um, yeah, I could see it being a little bit different on the cost scale. But again, you put that right into your inventory and you could use it again in six months if you have a similar job pop up. And you you got to do the math on the efficiency of doing the job as well, because if you're having to roll a a longer length sleeve or tube, you're going to make up the, the, the investment uh, just in safe time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Labor, labor costs are huge, uh, especially here in North America where 
um, you know, that, that labor cost is pretty high. You can, you can save a lot just by, uh, by using a more efficient tool and a more efficient method. Right. So, um, next question is, uh, how thick of a tube sheet, uh, tube sheet can you expand? Well, you know, right now we don't have a limit. Um, you know, we've, we've expanded, like I'd mentioned a while ago, a 32 inch thick tube sheet. We've, we've probably done thicker than that. Um, it's not uncommon to see them in the 20, 24 inch thick tube sheet range. Um, you know, when it comes to full length liners, it's the same type of tool, same concept. And we've done 54 foot long liners. Um, we actually did a job in Ohio in 2018 where we did 10,000 tubes that were all 54 feet long. And you literally insert a 50 something foot long mandrel and hydroform it. So. And while you're, when you say a liner, you're effectively putting a tube inside of a tube and then hydroforming it out so that it be, you know, the two, the inner tube and the, and the, and the parent tube become one and operate as the new heat exchanger tube, right? Yes, that's exactly right. It's the same concept as a sleeve, but you're going for the full length of the entire full tube. Length. So, right. yeah. What, uh, what size tubes can you, uh, can you expand? Uh, again, you know, we don't really have any limits now. I, I say that I think the smallest tool we've manufactured would be for a three and a half millimeter ID, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is pretty small. Uh, we've probably gone up to about a seven or eight inch OD tube and I apologize. I don't know what that is metric off the top of my head, but um, neither, neither, neither do I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're in Canada and we, we live in the metric system, but we also live in North America and uh, most of our pipe and tubes are in inches and uh, so are our pipe flanges. But, you know, but we, we, we get some funny drawings where we'll get uh, certain dimensions on our drawings in inches and certain things in millimeters, certain things in Newton meters, certain things in foot pounds of torque. And, uh, that just makes us quirky, I guess. But if you told me it was uh, eight inches, I would, uh, I would definitely have to break out the calculator real quick and figure out the 20, <laughs> 24 point whatever millimeters times eight that that is. Um, off the time, I, I, I always, I simply know that a 24 inch flange is a 600 millimeter piece of pipe. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is just a weird engineering spec that I see a lot. Um, so, um, can you, let's talk about exotic materials a little bit. Like what about, what kinds of exotic materials can you use and expand? You know, we can expand uh, pretty much anything out there at this point. Uh, you know, there's some, some odd ones like tantalum and things like that that we've expanded. Um, it's really common for us to see uh, AL6XN, zirconium, super duplex, hyper duplex. We're actually, we actually work closely with Sandvik uh, materials and we're, we're working on some testing with them to do some of their new Sinecro materials as well as some of their hyper duplex, which is like 2707. Uh, hyper duplex material um, just to work on some testing with it and show show them and their clients you know the optimum way to expand these materials but when it comes to manufacturing in the field yeah titanium zirconium we're doing those things all the time and uh, it's very common for us to see those what we would consider exotics and of course to clarify what I mean by exotic it's uh, material with a strong memory property uh, you know, when you when you roll one of those, they start to work harden before they plastically deform, 
when right. you hydraulically expand them, you can kind of trick the material. You can get it out beyond its plastic state of deformation and hold it there. We can hold a tube for 10, 12 seconds if we have to at high pressure. And by then the memory is gone and uh, it stays where we want it to. So um, hydraulic expansion is very, very good for, uh, for those kind of odd materials and it saves clients a lot of money on, uh, on time and, and materials when it comes to the tooling aspect of it. Awesome. Um, you know, I, I can see as, as we get this out that there's, you know, there, there's lots of clients out there who aren't using this technology and they're going to find themselves in a spring outage or a spring shutdown where they're faced with a bunch of tube issues. Um, you know, whenever we get back to doing turnarounds and outages after, uh, <laughs> after our, uh, you know, our little, uh, unexpected interlude, um, and they're gonna you know, they're gonna say to themselves, "Hey, I, you know, we're into the shutdown. I've got a hundred tubes. I need to. I, I don't want to plug them. I want to sleeve them. What's the lead time?" You know, the lead time varies based on the material, unfortunately, and uh, things have been a little, a uh, little behind, unfortunately, here in the U.S. with with a lot of stainless materials coming from a mill. But whenever we're lucky enough to have an application where the tube. Uh, it comes across where we can have a sleeve that's a standard size. You know, it's just a matter of a couple of days to get the tooling put together. Usually, and we can be on site. Um, it's not uncommon for us to get a call on a, on a Wednesday afternoon and have somebody on site Thursday for work. Um, we we've, we've made some what seemed like miracles happen before with uh, lead times, as I'm sure you have. Um, and of course that, that does come into play with the material desired, the, the size of the tube and, and the quantity. Um, that's, right. that's those three things kind of play into it all. But as far as our aspect of it, our manufacturing of tooling and such, it's all done in house. So, you know, it's nothing for us to, to pull something and uh, put something in the line for production and have it done in a day. You know what I mean? So. Right. Yeah. You know, you, uh, and you make, all of your tooling and equipment uh, right there? That's right. Now, you're, uh, you're in Missouri, right? Um, just outside, because I think when I visited you guys, I, I flew into St. Louis and then drive, drove to your facility. That's right, yeah, we're, uh, we're about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, I think, from the St. Louis airport. Right. Uh, we're kind of in a rural part of Missouri. And yeah, we have our own machine shop, our own fab shop. Everything's done in-house as far as uh, equipment and uh, and tooling right here in central USA. Um, of course, I'm pretty sure most people know where Missouri is, but if you were to draw an X through the United States, we're pretty much the center of that X. <laughs> the center of the universe. That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, you know, just from a um, – a tube inspection standpoint, like many, many clients are tracking and trending um, where they think or predict where their tubes are going to be going, you know, where they're going to be at. So how often and how important is it for your clients who, who anticipate, hey, you know, we, we inspected these tubes last year. We know we're, we're at X corrosion. We know we're going to have to, uh, we, should, we, we should be thinking about sleeving them. Uh, what kind of lead time, even with exotics, you know, if people are planning to sleeve rather than reacting to defects, how does, you know, what, what do you recommend there? 
You know, biggest recommendation there would be obviously as much time as possible. But, you know, if you if you have a shutdown this year, for example, you check the tubes, you know, you're going to need to sleeve them, but you don't have time this time around. So you're going to do it on the next turnaround. You just start planning now. If it's six months, go ahead and get a lead time on the tubes. If you're wanting to upgrade tube materials to an exotic, that's where your lead time is going to hurt. Um, that's where you're going to be on a three month lead time for materials. But if you are looking at a 300 series stainless, you know, it's nothing to get tubes manufactured from a a U.S. mill in a week or two, um, maybe four weeks standard or something like that. So, you know, you just want to obviously give yourself as much time as possible for the planning aspect, but it's always ideal to have the tubes sitting there when you're ready to open the unit up on a turnaround and have those liners, those sleeves ready to go. And, uh, you know, we can be there to help install and and insert sleeves, make sure the tubes are clean enough that that the tubes can, the sleeves can be installed properly and and all that stuff right away. So So for all of those um, industrial facilities all across North America who thought they had a turnaround happening in a couple of weeks and now it might be two or three months <laughs> out. This is a great time to think about looking at all of your, uh, your tube integrity issues and planning sleeving now that you hadn't planned for to do in two weeks from now. You just bought yourself some time to uh, maybe add some efficiency into what is now a more critical path turnaround because uh, it ain't going to happen for, for maybe uh, a couple of months uh, later than expected, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a perfect time to to get in and plan ahead at this point. You know, make sure your uh, committee gets together, your engineering team looks at those units, determines which tubes, how many tubes need sleeved or lined, and and uh, get a plan into place and involve HydroPro. We can we can help you out with some materials and and acquisition of those and timeline and everything else for the next turnaround. I, I'd say that's a very optimistic and good way of looking at this whole situation. Well, right. you know, yeah. you know, not everyone uh, plans every detail. And now, you know, the way I look at it for both our own team internally, for the way we're planning turnarounds and the way clients are, we're just doubling down on, on maintenance, on processes, on planning. We've got to take, you know, make the best use of this time that we're giving, doing it safely with social distance and all all that and hygiene and making sure everyone is safe. But it's an awesome time to do an awful lot of preparation that people sometimes don't get to do. I mean, you know, I, I saw a great um, YouTube video uh, on viruses and epidemics that uh, Bill Gates had given a TED talk and it was actually five years ago. And you know what he looked at and he, what he recommended is, you know, when it comes to this kind of thing, when it comes to, you know, you know, this sort of a situation and specifically in the industrial space, you know, be like the military. The military has war games. The military has lots of training. They, they do, they do an awful lot of prep and an awful lot of practice for when they have to show up for the, for the real game professional sports while they're all shut down right now, they practice as much as they play in live games. And uh, this is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity for every industrial contractor and client out there to do a whole bunch of planning, a whole bunch of practicing, a whole bunch of training and a whole bunch of prep to really come out of this with, you know, being triple A players and and maybe taking some of their more middle of the pack parts of their team and just making them better. So, 
you've got to you've got to find the, the you know the silver and the gold in in this situation and i think all of that learn you know always learning always getting better um is a great opportunity that we're doing right now and like when i i genuinely think that if clients uh, are hearing this and they now have a shutdown that's been delayed uh, for three months look at all your fixed equipment heat exchanger work that's coming up go back to your integrity team look at what the inspection records are showing from the last time they were inspected ask your reliability engineers to to do some trending on what they think could happen and be proactive and plan to plan to sleeve a bunch of things um, because i think it'll save you a bunch of time in that turnaround yeah i completely agree you know especially with uh it's easy to to see this as a as more of a a hindrance and just throw your hands in the air and say well we can't do anything but uh, ideally you're going to look at this as a as an opportunity to to look at other ven other methods of repair and, and other options that you maybe didn't have time to look at before because i know when you're planning for a turnaround you know those those maintenance planners and stuff they're well overwhelmed and uh they're getting another they're getting some extra time to work on things and maybe maybe doing what you said and, and taking a look at those maintenance records, those, those future plans a little more closely and, and, you know, getting some sleeves in there and stuff so we can install them three months from now, six months from now, whenever you guys uh, reschedule those turnarounds. Yeah. I mean, it's who knows what'll happen. Uh, you know, a lot of our clients are saying, you know, preliminary as this has been happening over the last week, Oh, it's a minimum of two weeks, maybe six weeks. But, you know, if, if some of these turnarounds for the spring and they might happen in the summer now, they might actually get pushed to the fall to, because, um, you know, clients from an energy standpoint also have to plan their turnarounds around what their marketing departments and the, you know, the, the demand for their, for their commodities are. So you can't just decide to shut down in July if you're a power plant and, uh, and uh, you know, and, and short the uh, the grid of electricity when when everyone's firing up uh, you know ten million air conditioners right yeah yeah exactly right so so there are there are market conditions that are going to predicate uh, predicate when some of these delayed outages can happen and uh, this might give them an opportunity um, you know now that you know because I know a lot of my clients you know don't leverage uh, sleeving there's a lot of rolling and a lot of in, you know installing of plugs and you know, for some listeners, this may be the first time that they've heard that they can sleeve the defected area of the tube and keep uh, and keep a higher efficiency uh, heat exchanger in in use. I know process uh, engineering people will love to hear this, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're thinking about investing in this technology. Not me, because I already have. But um, um, you know, how difficult is it for uh, for uh, our listeners, people? to learn uh, how to use the equipment and, and leverage this themselves? Well, you know, there's a couple couple methods that we have in place to, to make sure that our clients are adequately trained. The, the number one um, is to have us come on site with you during a job. You know, that's, that's going to always be the best way to learn, kind of a learn on, on the actual unit, trial by fire kind of thing. You know, you, your guy gets in there, he's, he's goes through a half a day learning on how the equipment and tooling functions and how it works and safety and maintenance and so on. And then after that, we just jump in on the unit. Um, if it's a sleeve install where 
we're standing there, we're handing you a sleeve and a tool and we're expecting your, your technicians to operate it. And we're standing back and watching. And basically our technicians are spending a day or two coaching and, and working on uh, troubleshooting with your, with your technicians. If it's tube to tube sheet expansion, it's the same concept. You want to teach them everything from uh, setting up the tool to, to making sure QA is on board with the expansion pressure that's decided on. And, and then, and then we just stand back and let you guys do it. And, and we kind of just sit there and get our hands on it, show them best practices. You know, it's easier to wiggle the tool this way. It's easier to, to hold the tool like, you know, the yeah. gun like that. Little, little tricks that you, you learn after 10, 15, 20 years of doing this, uh, we, can, we can put that training to good use in the field. Um, alternatively, our doors are open, uh, you know, pending scheduling arrangements, we are more than happy to host people in our facility and uh, go through two or three days of training with them in our, in our shop. And it's all the same training. It's just a little different because you're not on a job, you're not in a plant, you're not expanding on an actual exchanger, but, um, but you get the full gamut, you know what I mean? And really the difficulty to learn is not, is not bad at all. Um, you know, once you, honestly the the amount of time it takes to actually teach how the tool itself works and how the equipment itself operates is about a half a day you're talking four to six hours of education beyond that it's just repetitiveness making sure they understand how to use it for the rest of the day or, or another day after that even um and, and that's why we like to do it on the job because it it's a better use of the time Right. And we've done both with you. I mean, uh, we, we sent a bunch of our people to your facility for, you know, class and shop training. And then, uh, and then when we started in the field, uh, your, your people came on jobs with us. Um, That's right. And started that way. So, and, and that worked really well because, you know, you know, classroom and shop is, is good in theory and it's good in learning the fundamentals. But, you know, once you get out there and you're dealing with, uh, your client's assets, you know, you know, the experiential training of, 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 of live action work is, is very different than, than just the, uh, the theoretical and the practical parts that you do in a shop. So, Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. That, and, that combination. And, remember, uh, and your guys are, your guys are actually, guys. your, your ahead, team sorry. is absolutely brilliant at this stuff. I mean, you just have so much experience. It's been fantastic. Yeah. And you know, when you get out on the job and, and there's uh there's, odd things going on there's an obstruction here that you never anticipated in the shop environment you know there's there's a a weld from a plug that was welded in you know that's causing issues on this this tube hole you know things like that you don't even anticipate troubleshooting as well right yeah absolutely uh, i i recall a job we did a couple years ago where we were doing full length liners and um the expansion was happening so much that you know the, the liner just from a, the measurement standpoint, the, because you're expanding, the length of the liner started to shrink and it was causing some of the mandrels to slip off the liner just from the dimensions. And it was, it was your team who helped troubleshoot that. And our guys were pulling their hair out going, well, we can't get a seal to, <laughs> because, the, you know, because as you're pushing um, radially and, expand, and hydroforming it radially, the length of the overall liner was, was getting a little bit shorter. I mean, we're talking about, millimeters but um it was enough that it was given some heartache with with uh with a few of the a few of the applications and your guys figured it out right yeah i remember that application pretty well actually there was an obstruction at the uh, down tube end of the unit so the yeah. the sleeve length had to be limited 
And once expansion started, it, it did shrink the tube just a little too much and uh, pulled the tool off. So we had to adjust the expansion zone. And that's one of those little things that experience, you know, experienced technicians able to teach on the spot um, and, yeah. and troubleshoot and help out. And things like that come to you pretty quick when you start working with our techs in the field. So um, that's usually the best way to, to learn how to use the equipment, though, is just have our guys on site with you for a job. Yeah, 100%. Let's uh, let's kind of switch gears a little bit now, and we we've covered sort of the you know everything about what it is, and and try to cover some frequently asked questions. Uh, I, I I'll 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 just ask one more though, you know. So when clients invest in the technology, um, you know, what kind of after purchase support uh, do you offer? How do you how do you how do you keep your customers moving? Well, you know, if you if you're in the field and you have a problem, obviously you want something handled quickly and we do offer essentially 24 hour support. You know, don't get me wrong. We don't have a, an Indian call center or anything like that. We have uh, you know, you give us some, get us an email, you get our cell phone numbers, things like that. You start calling and we'll do our best to offer uh, technical support over the phone. We have some, some experts when it comes to uh, offering technical help via the phone. You know, we've got one gentleman, for example, who can, who could build the unit in his head. So if he talks to you on the phone, he can troubleshoot based on a weird noise the machine's making, what's going on, you know, troubleshoot how it's acting uh, just in his mind with what's Wait, going on with the tooling. Is that Madison? Um, that is Madison. Yes, yeah, is. yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, Madison. So he, uh, yeah. He's our uh, go-to guy when it comes to, to that technical support stuff. And then, of course, in our shop, we've got, the, we've got several guys who – who are sitting there building machines all day and working on the tools all day. And they, they're happy to help you out. Um, and then of course, when it comes to, you know, tube to tube sheet expansion, if you guys are doing a, a new expansion or a retube or something like that, you get us the uh, material uh, test reports with tensils and yields, get mm -hmm. us some drawings, that kind of thing. We can actually run um, empirical tests on a computer and get you estimated expansion pressures for those, tube to tube sheet expansions um, kind of get you started. You know what I mean? It, it, it may not be the final pressure you go with on the actual unit, but it gets you in the right ballpark to get started. And we do all that at no cost. Um, now, if we start sending technicians out to help on the field, obviously there's some expense involved, but, um, but we, we do a very good job in my opinion of, of getting the support out there. Cause you know, we want you to be successful when you have our equipment. It doesn't, it doesn't do you any good. Doesn't do your client any good. And it certainly doesn't do us any good if, if our equipment's not doing the job for you. So we want to make sure that that's, uh, that's getting handled. Awesome. Now let's flip and, and just talk a little bit about insight. And, you know, I like to, I like to help our, our listeners think differently about their problems, um, questions that they, you know, that they should be asking themselves, but maybe they're not because they don't, you know, when it comes to technology they haven't used before, they're not approaching it with the context of the value. They might be, you know, they, they're used to doing things the way they do. So um, right. it's got to cover some should ask questions to help customers, uh, you know, think differently um, about, about uh, how they're approaching things. So, you know, a customer's ordering a new heat exchanger uh, later this year, you know, how can you help uh, prevent common issues in the heat exchanger, uh, such as uh, stress corrosion cracking? 
Well, you know, uh, something that's really often overlooked is just the method of tube to tube sheet expansion. Um, you know, you think about it, you, you put a lot of engineering into the capabilities of that heat exchanger, the size, the, where it's going to fit in your, in your facility, um, flow characteristics, everything, you know, you, you look at all sorts of factors on that, that exchanger, but something that probably I'm going to guess 90% of the people don't even think of is tube to tube sheet expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the method of expansion makes a big difference though. You know, whenever you go from a mechanical roll joint, which as you know, is, is rotating and, and pushing a tube out to contact. And if you've ever watched the process, they're holding the tube down on one end and they're rolling the other, and then they go back and they roll the other end. Well, what you're doing is you're creating a twist in the parent tube mm-hmm. and you're creating a, a stress area in the expansion zone and between the expanded and unexpanded area. There's a lot of stress. And that's 95% of where stress corrosion cracking occurs is right there in that transition area, right behind the tube sheet. Right. Um, hydraulic tube expansion is not rotating or twisting the tube. And you have a much smoother transition area because you're not removing or extruding the tube from the tube sheet, you know, that material thinning the wall out in the same manner. You're actually drawing tube into the tube sheet. So the, the stresses there are vastly different. And just using hydraulic expansion on that joint makes a massive difference. Um, another thing to look at is the groove dimensions. You know, we, we have a groove dimension formula we, we have on our website that's accessible. And, and uh, you know, sometimes the standard eighth-inch wide groove is not sufficient when you're looking at hydraulic expansion. You want a little bit wider groove to, to make sure you really get that, that tube buried in there and uh, make it efficient, you know, for, for uh, strength of that joint. So if I hear you right, um, you know, from a stress corrosion cracking issue, then, you know, are, are you saying that, that the potential contributing cause of stress corrosion cracking that the client uh, experiences um, later is actually uh, potentially being caused, or at least one of the mitigating factors uh, is the way that they're rolling the tubes? That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a, there's been, there's been some reports out there and stuff and I wish I could, I wish I could uh, tell you the date and and name and everything else of the report off the top of my head. But, um, but yeah, you know, you, you think about just the manner in which a tube, the tube sheet joints expanded with the roller, you know, you're, you're literally extruding material out of the joint area. That's why they look at tube wall reduction because you're literally reducing the tube wall thickness. Right. And uh, at the same time, you're, you're twisting and rotating that tube around. Um, you know, I was at a customer shop, and this is a, a, an end user facility, probably 10 years ago. And he, he's like, you know, we've got this weird problem. We've never seen it before. It's been happening uh, this year on these new units. Can, can you take a look at this? And he brought out some tubes from their, their test lab, and they had a spiral crack in them. And he said it was happening a few feet behind the tube sheet. And I said, it's because you're rolling the tubes. You're, and I explained the whole process because they're twisting the tube all the way throughout the whole length of the unit while they're, they're rolling it. And it was just like a light bulb went off and they're like, you know, that's exactly right. You are twisting the whole tube. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you, you hydraulically expand that joint and uh, you remove that rotational force out of the issue, out of the equation. And, you know, there's a lot of stress on that tube that goes away. I never thought about that before, but that's a really interesting perspective on uh, eliminating, not, not just repairing the stress corrosion uh, 
areas, but eliminating future stress corrosion by just changing your installation method. Um, yeah, just prevention that's, that's, of it, you know. That's really insightful. Um, how can how can customers combat you know issues in units that are already in service? What are they uh, you know that about? goes uh, that goes to looking at sleeve opportunities. Um, you know if you can if you can install a sleeve and keep that unit in or that tube in service, um, a lot of the time installing that sleeve will you know prevent or help mitigate any any failures due to that stress in the tube. Um, that's probably our number one response for that. We do have issues where, you know, tubes just kind of loosen up over time after, after operation and you can go in and, and hydraulically expand those sometimes and get them to, to seal again. But typically, typically a sleeve would be the best fit. Mm -hmm. um, we do also offer hydraulically expanded tube plugs, which would, uh, for those of you out there who, who know what a dummy plug is, it looks a lot like a dummy plug, but it's machined specifically for an application. It's an engineered plug solution, and we go in and hydraulically expand those into place. And um, that's, a, that's just another option for, for closing off a tube permanently, of course. Right. Any particular benefit to that versus uh, how clients are, are plugging tubes today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, our plugs are engineered for each individual application. So we've actually manufactured plugs that are seven inches long, eight inches long. Um, and if you think about other engineered plugs out there, even tapered plugs, you've got a quarter inch, half inch of sealing area on the plug. You know, I'm sure there's something out there that offers more than that, but but our plugs are going to have, our, our standard plug has three inches of expandable area in it um, so you've got a serrated ring every i'd say millimeter on the plug that is eating into the parent tube during expansion mm -hmm. and uh and the custom ones we've done you know we have we have one series that we use that are about four and a half inches long and they they're made to bulge behind the tube sheet they're flanged on the front they're not going anywhere they're permanent um, when you go to remove one of those and in, in testing you pull the entire tube um, with the, with the plug. So, you know, they're just a lot more permanent than any other plug out there. You know what I mean? So. Gotcha. Now, you know, we've talked a lot about, um, heat exchangers and, you know, and I, I, when I think about heat exchangers, I always come from the reference of oil and gas and petrochemical. Uh, but you know, there's lots of tube applications in the power, uh, generation industry, you know, where are you using this in uh, coal-fired power plants, nuclear power plants, um, other types of uh, other types of applications in power gen? You know, we're we're pretty much using this stuff everywhere. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier the the full-length liner application that was done in Ohio. That was a that was a power plant. Um, you know, and then we we do nuclear we do nuclear applications not just power, but uh, nuclear Navy. Uh, we do a lot of work with them around the world. Um, we work with petrochemical big time, again, worldwide. I've been in oil refineries and in India and Mexico and <coughs> Canada, US myself. And, you know, we just, we had somebody in a thermal power plant in Saudi Arabia last week doing an inspection or two weeks ago doing an inspection. And uh, yeah, you know, just, just literally pretty much any kind of application you can imagine a tubular heat exchanger in where we're working on it. 
Perfect. I, I really want to make sure we covered a little bit of power gen conversation in there because I was, uh, you know, I had so much of my head in, uh, in, in, in an oil refinery turnaround as we were talking that I wanted to make sure <laughs> yeah. I, we, we talked about power gen a little bit here. Um, what about a client who's experiencing inlet erosion? You know, that kind of goes back to the, the sleeving, you know, like the, the transfer line exchanger issue I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, sacrificial sleeves are really big on that, you know, big, big way to fix those because you run into uh, the ability or you, you get the ability to, to prevent that erosion, combat that erosion with a, with a sacrificial sleeve. And then you can go in and pull that sleeve and replace it and keep that unit, keep that tube in operation, which is just fantastic. Right. Um, so yeah, that's uh, inlet erosion. That's probably your, your biggest benefit with our technology is going to be installing a, a sleeve of some sort to, to uh, take that erosion instead of the parent tube. Now you, you kind of sparked something in my head there when you said a sacrificial sleeve. Now I've had a lot of clients who um, they, they either install a new, uh, a new tube bundle or it's a new, uh, a new facility and they're going through startup and commissioning in early days and they start to find out that, you know, that they've got some, some weird chemistry going on and the metallurgy that they selected for tubes is just not, not cutting the mustard. Uh, Cause you said earlier something that kind of, I'm connecting the dots here. If the customer wants to upgrade their metallurgy, you know, talk a little bit about that because I've, I've had a lot of clients who've had bundles fail after six months in service and they realize that they had hard water or they had weird pH going on or their process was just harder on the, uh, on the, on the materials that were designed than, uh, than they expected. And now they're faced with, uh, you know, some, some real challenges. So talk about upgrading metallurgy a little bit and what, how customers can benefit from that. Uh, you know, kind of the same thing. You, you, uh, what you could do is your, your metallurgists can look at materials that are compat compatible in that application. You know, if you have a 300 series stainless tube, it's not uncommon to insert a 2205 duplex sleeve or, or if you have carbon steel tubes, you want to upgrade to stainless on the sleeve. Um, you know, we see this pretty commonly with, uh, with issues where seawater might come into contact or a, a nasty water. You could use, a cooper nickel material over we got over a lot of clients that have, that have uh we have a lot of clients that have brackish water where there's just a high sodium content uh that they're getting out of their out of the groundwater wells that they're drawing from and you know it might as well be sea it might as well be seawater probably yeah, yeah, probably true. probably more like the dead sea <laughs> <laughs> yeah and if you uh you know if you if your engineers can select uh the correct metal that would work with that and and both work with the parent tube without dissimilar metals causing uh causing issues and then also work with the material the process uh the the water gas whatever is going through your unit um you know what we do then is we just go in and expand that like i said we've we've installed titanium sleeves we're not putting those into titanium tubes we're putting them into stainless tubes probably you know what i mean right. um we do cooper nickel sleeves on top of stainless tubes we do all sorts of different combinations, just whatever works best for that particular application. So, right. So, I mean, basically when a client has got issues with erosion and corrosion and their parent sleeves, 
uh, are either not, not performing or they want to get better performance, then upgrading metallurgy to something that's compatible is, 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 is a real option. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it doesn't have to just be a short sleeve, you know, for inlet erosion. It could be a full length liner. A full liner. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking here at my notes. Um, yeah. Let's talk about, so tons and tons of listeners are going to, you know, regularly probably be using regular um, rolling and mechanical um, you know, and then if they've got existing tubes that have been rolled and they're not getting a seal, how, how can we help? You know, that's one where HydroPro can come in with our, our tooling. We've got a couple different tool options that, that can be used in this situation. And, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, a, a roller is going to expand to the OD capabilities of the tool itself, whereas hydraulic expansion expands to the ID shape of the resistance, in this case, the tube sheet. So it's not uncommon. Um, we've had this happen in in power generation facilities, oil refineries, chemical plants, where we go in behind a roller that it may be on three tubes out of 500. It may be on 50 tubes where they just simply cannot get at the seal. And they're worried that they're just going to remove too much wall from the tube by changing to the next size tool or increasing torque or anything else. Uh, at the end of the day, the issue is the, the hole. The hole is not completely uniform and the tool is trying to expand to a uniform shape whereas hydraulics going to allow it to form into whatever yeah. shape is there mechanical rollers want to spin into a larger and larger circle but if it's not a circle it's uh exactly we can shape luck, into right? a, exactly and you know we can expand into a cone um right. you know what i mean we can we can do that uh, to an egg-shaped hole, obviously within reason, but we can, uh, we can pretty commonly go in behind those, in those situations, expand it a couple times and have a seal. Uh, and, you know, you, sit the, you hit the same tube with a hydraulic expansion uh, tool at the same, you know, same tube, you hit it three times at the same pressure, you're not removing wall, you're not extruding material, you're just expanding it into the right shape. Um, so it's a lot better for that sort of, sort of situation than, uh, than rolling a tube is multiple times. Now, coming back to um, inspection, we've often inspected tubes and they're seeing issues um, around uh, baffle plates. So whether it's, there's, they're seeing signs of vibration and wear, they might even get some holes or some accelerated failures around baffle plates that might be mid-tube uh, how can you how can you address that? Uh, again, we've got a few different solutions depending on the particular situation. Um, we can go in. We've got a couple tools that we can go down and literally expand the tube into the baffle plate mm -hmm. uh, to to prevent vibration if if the failures aren't there yet. If failures are being experienced down tube, what we can do is we can install a sleeve in that area, and that's something sort of unique to our technology is. Right. If you've got a 30 foot long tube and, you know, every 10 foot is a, uh, is a baffle, we can go in and install a four inch long, two inch long sleeve, whatever. In those specific area. locations. In those specific locations. That's right. right. And, uh, and what that helps to do is that sleeve expanding it into the parent tube. You can even expand it a little bit further so that it meets, it, it touches the, uh, the baffle plate and prevents that vibration in the future. So you can you can do that. Repair the damage uh, and stop future damage from further vibration. 
Exactly. And, and you can locate those specifically down tubes. So that's something kind of unique to our technology. So you, you could use that same approach if through, uh, you know, they're, they're going in doing eddy current or iris or remote field inspection and they find a pinhole. Um, you could fix that pinhole with the sleeve as well? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you you, you kind of open up a can of worms there sometimes if uh, if you have a lot of tubes and a lot of different locations, then uh, obviously you slow down the process, it's, you sure. know, locating multiple things. But, you know, that's one where baffles aren't as big of an issue because you know where they're at. And, uh, but yeah, absolutely. You could, you know, you could theoretically go into a unit and pinpoint one hole in the entire unit and install a sleeve over that one spot without any issue. Right. Um, and we've and on, got a, we've that, got an inspection uh, we've got an inspection company uh, a partner in the Netherlands and they use a new type of uh, acoustic technology that can help us pinpoint pinholes and exact locations. So I've, it's uh, it's a new inspection method that you know is very precise. With you know, it's probably the best technology for for pinhole detection. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. that's great because I know Eddie Current's not always oh, the yeah, a lot of the a lot of the electromagnetics are, are you know struggle with. With with pinholes, they can find general erosion and corrosion uh, internal right. and external. But pinholes is a is a real is a real difficult one for them. And we've got this new acoustic technology that leverages some artificial intelligence that um, that uh, allows for pinhole detection. And you know the combination of find it and then fix it is kind of the the way I like to approach everything. Is if we can if we can find issues and then we can have technologies to fix them, then that is really brings us you know a total solution to a client, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and on that uh, on that note, we're able to uh, install plugs down tube as well. And we've we've actually have a, a pretty unique system in place where uh, we go shipboard on LNG manufacturing uh, floating regasification units. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, you're talking 54 foot long, 56 foot long, whatever these link units length are. Mm -hmm. They only have access from one end of the uh, one end of the vaporizer and we're able to go in and install a plug at both ends of that, that tube in order to uh, plug off one tube. And uh, to my knowledge, nobody else is, is capable of, of doing that installing a, uh, you know, a seawater application plug 50 something foot down inside of a tube. Hmm. Um, and, and it's kind of the same technology, the same concept as, you know, going down tube and expanding a sleeve or a baffle, but you're doing it at a much higher pressure into a tube sheet, ideally at each end. So um, we've actually done that both land-based units in, in Canada and, and then shipboard all over the world for, uh, for floating regasification units and LNG production. So you've got global clients. You've talked about jobs kind of all over the world. Who are some of your biggest clients? You know, we work with uh, Dow Chemical and BP on a on a case by case basis. You know, we do a lot of work for these manufacturers for these these companies uh, through their heat exchanger manufacturers. So, it's not uncommon for us to work on a Motiva unit or a Dow unit or a BP unit um, because a lot of them specify hydraulic tube expansion on new units, at least in certain situations. Um, I know for a fact that, um, like Dow, for example. Anytime a zirconium unit is manufactured, they, they require hydraulic tube expansion. Mm -hmm. um, anytime they're over a certain tube sheet thickness, they require hydraulic tube expansion. So, you know, these I'm gonna, people... I'm going to have to talk to Dow here in Canada because we just signed the new 
a new terms and conditions agreement with them and there's some big shutdowns coming up and we'll have to find out what their plans are for their heat exchangers uh, here yeah, in Canada absolutely. this year. Um, and, uh, you know, we do a lot of work with the U.S. military and, mm-hmm. and uh, just, you know, generally all over the world, we've, we've got uh, manufacturers and honestly, India is one of our biggest customer bases. They have uh, some major manufacturers over there and, uh, you know, there's probably 20, 24 of our uh, hydraulic expansion units floating around that country in, uh, in four or five major fab shops uh, that are being used on a daily basis. So. That's a great point. I mean, you know, again, I, I, I have a frame of reference of working inside the facility so much when it comes to heat exchangers. Um, but you're working with, with uh, heat exchanger and, um, and, and bundle manufacturers at the fabrication stage when they're building a bundle and they need hydraulic expansion in a fab shop. That's exactly right. Yes. So, you know, with some of these big players, they're using you, uh, what do they know that uh, that other people don't? The biggest thing is just their their capability, their their longevity uh, of of looking at unit life. You know what I mean? They're they're able to notice that twenty years ago when they're building this unit with slightly different parameters, slightly different manufacturing techniques, the units didn't simply simply didn't last as long as they do now. Um, and again, it goes back to some of those corrosion issues. Those um, those stress issues of the tube, just the way they were expanded. And of course, there's always the, the beneficial factors of getting the unit manufactured a little quicker. If you have a thick tube sheet, you know, hydraulically expand that. Um, plus, you know, you, you expend a, a lot of money in the nuclear field and, and chemical production and stuff. They're spending a lot of money on materials. The last thing they want to skimp on is, is tube expansion methods. Um, you know, why, why spend all that money on just insanely expensive materials for your tube and tube sheets and, and extra process when it comes to welding and everything else. And then, and then kind of drop the ball on the expansion method just cause it's, it's easier, you know, whenever you can have somebody come in and, and hydraulic expansion can be used and, and that, uh, that can increase the longevity of the unit really solidify their decision on using those materials. Neat. Awesome. So, you know, if a customer decides to either, you know, they've made a decision that they're either going to invest in uh, hydraulic expansion technology or they're going to use um, a contractor to do, a contractor like us to do a hydraulic expansion, why should they use HydroPro over anybody else? You know, we are first and foremost an OEM manufacturer. So, we don't ever want to step on our own client's toes when it comes to, to service in the field. So we like to support companies like innovator industrial who can go out and do this work using our technology. And the reason you should look at using our technology over somebody else's is, is that this is our specialty. You know, we are not a massive company that makes 12 different things and hydraulic expansion is one of those things we make hydraulic expansion products. That's all we do is uh, heat exchanger, hydraulic expansion, repair, uh, maintenance, that kind of thing, including our technology. So, um, you know, we do have six product lines, six primary product lines, and every one of them is related to a tube to tube sheet joint or a sleeve or hydro testing a joint or plugging a joint. Um, you know, those, those are our things. That's our specialty. And the fact that we're able to focus on that and the fact that that's all we, 
we really place our focus on um, allows us to, to advance our technology, allows us to make those changes on the fly as needed, and it allows us to be much more responsive to our clients than than others out there in the world. Um, it's it's not uncommon for somebody to come in and we'll be bidding against uh, another company from overseas for uh, for equipment, for example, and then they look at the lead time and they realize, well, HydroPro can have us tooling in five to ten days standard. That's our standard delivery time. Right. These other people, you know, they've got six to seven week delivery for tooling standard because it's not their key business. It's just something that they farm out, something that they do on the side. And I think that makes it's a huge on, it's difference. On, it's on it's on their line card, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, so yeah. yeah. I mean, when I look at you guys, you know, you know, this is the Industrial Innovators Podcast, and uh, I really like having guests on here who have a very specific niche that they're the best at it, and you know, and HydroPro is an innovator in. In, uh, in solutions for installing and repairing tubes. Whatever tube it is, that's what you guys do. You don't do anything else. You're the best at it, and you guys created a lot of the technology and have innovative solutions for things that nobody else can do. And you have great support in getting people up to speed, in getting the solutions done, and fantastic after-sales support. Because your goal is always to, for, for, for not to, not to just sell some equipment or some material, you guys are always focused on getting the, the problem solved. That's which right. Is, we want which to make is sure exactly what the innovation should be about, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, uh, we take an innovative approach to this whole process and, and, you know, our tagline is uh, solutions for extending heat exchanger life. I mean, that's, that's what we do. Exactly. We don't have a whole nother department building something else. Then this is just something that we do. This is, this is our specialty, so. Fantastic. On that note, how do we find you? Uh, the best way is to go to our website. That's www.hpro.com, just hpro.com. Um, you check us out there. We've, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got animation on how the tooling works. We've got products on there. We've got engineering uh, documentation. You can, you can click on an application data sheet, fill it out, and send it to us from our website. And, uh, and we can, we can uh, get a hold of you there. Um, our phone number is there. Emails are on there. That's, but our website is the best place to start. Absolutely. Fantastic. And we'll make sure we also get your website and contact details up on the podcast uh, episode page. So uh, for anyone who's listening on whatever way you're streaming podcast, if you go to the show notes, uh, on the episode page, uh, how to reach uh, Stephen and HydroPro will be there. Of course, uh, if you're looking for a contractor to do that, uh, Innovator uses uh, HydroPro uh, equipment, HydroPro support, HydroPro materials in all of the tube sleeving and tube repair work that we do as a as a specialty contractor. So you've got ways to buy equipment from Stephen, and if you want a a, a uh, integrated contractor to do uh, tube inspection and tube repair, then uh, you can give us a call. Um, and we're at innovator uh, www.innovatorind.com. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on board. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I thought, you know, after spending time with you guys and doing training and jobs with you guys that I, 
I, I had all this figured out and I didn't. I learned a few really new and interesting things, particularly around that contrast around how the traditional method probably causes the problem that we're trying to fix um, with uh, stress corrosion um, being, you know, certainly being contributed to by the installation method of mechanical rolling. I thought that was my big takeaway from, from this conversation. Um, there were dozens of others that uh, people who are listening will have learned. I'm sure we'll get a whole bunch of listeners on here who didn't even realize that you could, you could hydraulically expand and not have to roll. And uh, so I hope everyone got some value out of this. I appreciate you coming on board, Stephen. And uh, we'll call that one a wrap for this episode. And uh, we'll be talking again soon, Steve. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day, my friend. Thanks, you too. Take it easy. Bye. Bye now. And there you have it. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Industrial Innovators Podcast. For more information about everything you've heard or to get in touch with either of our speakers, you can visit Stephen and all of HydroPro at hpro.com. And you can get in contact with Don and his whole team at Innovator at innovator.ca. Don't forget to leave a like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. It truly does help out the show a lot. So with all of that said, we can't wait to see you next time on the Industrial Innovators Podcast.